Hello, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, my name is Steve Otterstrom, and I know you're used to having Leonard come in and open the podcast. And I'm, I'm sorry that he's not with us today. Um, I am really excited to introduce you to our guest, um, uh, Hey Dia. I know you by Hey Dia, and then I just realized, you know, I'm not sure exactly how to say your last name. I, I haven't had much opportunity to say it, but I'm going to give it a, a try. Uh, Nuruddin? Perfect. Congratulations. Oh, you get a certificate. I, I have my moments <laughs> once in a while, once in a while. And um, to let you all know a little bit about how I met Hedia, um, I actually met Hedia um, as a producer. I was producing a call that she was facilitating. I believe it was for ATD, mm -hmm. uh, the Association for Talent Development. And um, whenever you know you you facilitate the, or uh, produce these types of calls, there's always a little downtime in between, and you get an opportunity to speak to your facilitator. And one of the things that I I, I remember about working with her as her producer was just the level of insight that uh, somebody could could say something or share a thought. And it wasn't like, you know, she had a million facts to bring into every situation or solution, but just a way of kind of stepping back and looking at things from such a practical, common sense perspective that it made you on one side go, oh, wow, that is brilliant. And the other side, I was like, wow, I'm really kind of dumb for not thinking of that. <laughs> but uh, definitely, definitely, um, I, I, I walked away from that situation thinking this is someone that I would love to have come on to our podcast, especially because um, Leonard and I, as you know, are, are very into um, learning and development, what makes it work, what makes it not work. And here I was with an individual that seemed to have it that seem to understand how to make uh, this work. And, and then as I've learned more about Hedia, uh, learning that one of her strong points and what she has been very successful in teaching others to do as well is storytelling. And, um, you know, storytelling is, as we all know that are in the training professional uh, profession that, that nobody remembers your facts, nobody remembers your statistics, but they do remember your stories. Uh, it's one of the most powerful ways to teach anything. And so um, I'm very excited, excited to have you on, Hadia. And um, I'll let you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and about how, how did you come about to be the master storyteller that you are today? <laughs> maybe there's a good story in that. As Stephen said, my name is Hadia Nuruddin. I've been in learning and development for about 20 years or so. And um, before that, I was in computer technical support, which was an odd thing because um, I graduated with an English degree and had never worked with computers. Um, and my joke is always because it was the 90s and I had a head that could wear a headset and a voice that could project through it. That was all I needed um, for qualifications. And they pretty much said, if we can learn it, you can learn it. So back then they needed people. It was a budding industry. This is in the mid nineties. Um, so I did, I did that for a while and, you know, tech support was just teaching it really at that time. I mean, I went through the whole 
switch from Windows 3.1 to Windows 95 to Windows NT. And this is before we could just walk into someone's computer and take it over and do it for them. We had to explain, you know, program manager and explain without seeing it and, you know, walking people through all of this. And that was really training. And so um, I Mm -hmm. secretly always kind of wanted to be a teacher. So I thought, oh, wow, there's this whole career called training and development. And so um, I was able to Mm -hmm. uh, snag a position in that. And I was lucky in that. Um, it was one of those jobs where we had to do everything. I didn't know that there was this division of roles until much later that there was an instructional designer and a trainer and all yeah. that. We had to do everything, which was nice because you get to learn not only yeah. what you like, but what you have a talent for and what you can tolerate doing from 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 here on out. Um, So that is one of the uh, reasons why I'm still in this field. And one of the reasons why I enjoy it is just that sort of, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I always say I'm more interested in Bob being a better manager than I am in a company making a trillion dollars. You know, that's one thing that I really, I'm interested in Mm -hmm. that person. Um, taking that journey and um, transforming as a leader, because I know that most of the time we lead how we were led. So not only is his career affected, but other the people who follow him, their careers are affected and, you know, people who live with them, their lives are affected, you know, so I just, the the tentacles and the reach that we have in learning and development Mm -hmm. has always been um, attractive to me. So that's uh, one thing I like about it. So I worked internal for um, up until 2011. And um, I started freelancing in 2008, though. Um, I started free, I got laid off from BP and said, I'm going to go on my own. That's it. Look out, world. Mm-hmm. Then got out there and was like, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. I can't do this. And uh, so I got a job but I never let go of my clients. <laughs> so I did that. I did those at the same time, which allowed me to save money and pay off my debt and a credit card debt, which I had amassed. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in 2011, I wrote that last check of Citibank and went on my own. I did have a project to walk into, um, but you know, that could have fell through. Luckily it didn't. And I just kept going as a freelancer um, ever since then. Um so well, see, hard. now I know why I was so attracted to to this because, you know, it's so similar to my story, you know, yeah. that, that, of course, listeners will know that it was this, was it the last 12 months, you know, laid off and then reluctantly became a freelance person. But it sounds like that this actually was a, a path that you already were wanting to take, that you were... Yeah, I didn't fully understand <laughs> why until, until uh, you know, recently... Um, you know, there, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, there was just something that was appealing to me about it, not fully understanding the implications of it, of course, <laughs> and the sacrifices and the choices I would have to make to do it. And the, the um, you know, every two or three years, me questioning my wisdom and um, going in this direction. Mm. But um, every time I think of, you know, stopping, I just keep going. You know, I haven't had a client yet. Now, sometimes you get um, seduced by a client. We're like, this is a great office. I think I want to stay here. Um, that hasn't happened. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I have some great clients and some great organizations, but, you know, still just that ability to 
go to the next client is more appealing than staying staying with this one. So, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a interesting it's been an interesting journey. So yeah, it's something that's always appealed to me, and I think I've always saw myself as a free agent. I always saw myself as I'm here to um, collect as many skills as I can at this you know particular job. I always had my eye on that mm-hmm. focus as I thought about what my offerings would be, what my services would be and what I could do. And I noticed early on that this was a career that I could do independent of one organization. You know, it wasn't 100 Mm percent dependent on um, working for one particular company. And so I I recognized that early on. And when I began to sort of see myself as a service provider rather than an employee. Um, And so, yeah, it was a natural, it was a natural progression. Yeah. In some ways, what I, what I feel like I'm hearing from you is that you've always had this perspective of trying to help people grow, even maybe more than helping organizations grow. That right. There's that right. people focus rather than. Yeah, because that's harder, you know, to me, it's more difficult to do. I mean, it's the people that move the organization, right? It's the people mm-hmm. who decide what, you know, whether you're going to grow and the, the decisions that you're going to make. It all lies within the, the power of the people and their perspectives and whether or not they see this journey that you're taking them on as an employee is worthwhile and um, whether or not they are invested in that. And those are one of the things that you can influence, you know, through not just training, but messaging and providing opportunities and supporting them through those opportunities. You know, ultimately, they decide where the company goes and whether or not the company grows or goes in, in one direction. So I've always been you know, happy to um, focus on that. Um, you know, rather than, you know, this new product is coming out. Well, how are you supporting the people making that product and the people who are supporting it and, and thinking about what direction it can go in and taking it here and taking it there. So, yeah, that's always been, that's a perspective I think I adopted early on. Yeah. One of the things I'm really excited about what you're doing right now is, is um, as a master storyteller, <laughs> you've been focusing or on helping people tell their own stories. And, and when I, especially I think about, you know, one of the, the most important human characteristics we have or, or is really being able to identify to, to know who, who are we? You know, I, I feel like that's like the journey of life yeah. is to figure out who we are. And, and maybe the most important aspect of that is being able to tell your story. So mm-hmm. I would love if you could uh, kind of break this down for us. How, how do you help somebody tell their story? And why is it hard? Why is it hard to tell our story? Yeah. Well, just to um, backtrack a little bit of how I got into stories, I used to think that, okay, well, I'm this instructional designer and I have an interest in stories, so let's let them come together. But in reality, um, stories started first. I was always a film buff. Um, I actually wanted mm. to be an actress. That was my secret lifelong dream <laughs> that I never told anyone, um, you know, mostly because there, I mean, where I was at, there was no, uh, there were no school plays there, there. I mean, it just didn't seem like a thing that could happen, mm. but secretly I always wanted to do that. And so I, I was this film buff and was always interested in story. Um, I also have this love for, uh, singer songwriter classic rock from the 70s <laughs> and i bring that up only because one time oh, wow. i was in writing class and uh we had to write about a guilty pleasure 
And I said, my guilty pleasure is 70 soft rock. <laughs> and um, the teacher said, well, I noticed <laughs> that you didn't write in your essay anything about the music. You like the stories. And I was like, I was like yeah, I think so. I think that's what appeals mm-hmm. to me. So I've always been, I think in narratives, often to my detriment in that I start telling myself stories that aren't true. <laughs> you know, I start trying to fill in blanks that really don't need to be filled in. Uh, so to my detriment, so story has always been um, a big part um, of my life. And so when I became an instructional designer, I think that I did, it wasn't that I was, oh, you know, I think that stories will help people connect to this. And I think that, so I wasn't thinking that at all. It was just this natural progression to what I was already interested in and how to get through this job, (laughs) how to make people pay attention, how to create modules and classes that um, where it was appealing to people. And it was only later that I realized, um, learned as I was writing the book story training that was published by um, HD and I think it came out in 2018, that um, doing the research for that, that I began to take a deeper dive and realize, oh, this is, there's something more here than to what I um, assumed. You know, I think I was assuming there's like a lot of people do that, um, this is just interesting. It just makes it more interesting and not really thinking of yeah. the full implications, of people being able to identify with something and to see themselves in something and how that actually influences their behavior and their perspective. I didn't really go that deep mm-hmm. until, um, until much later. Um, and so that book really focuses on facilitation and being able to tell stories off the top of your head and, uh, you know, when you're in a facilitation situation, you know, I always say that facilitation is such a, such an undervalued skill. Uh, you know, the fact that you have to facilitate yeah. something, you have to say something, someone says something to you for you to think about what that means and then spit out a response and connect it to other people's response. I mean, that is one heck of a skill that is so underrated. It is something that I just never want to lose. I always want to facilitate in some capacity because being able to do that is just such a powerful thing. And um, so being able to now do all that at the same time, mine your your history and think of a story to use an example, let alone mm-hmm. recognize that a story is going to be helpful um, is, is level one. Um, I always say uh, I, I get something sometimes called the what I call the slow pack up when I facilitate a class. And the slow pack up is when um, we're at the end of the class and there's a student who's just lingering. They're packing up their bag really slowly. Mm. And I'm thinking, everyone else is like, bye. But <laughs> you know, everyone else leaves. I'm ready to go get this person <laughs> out of here. Slowly, and I'm thinking, okay, I got a slow packer here. What does this person want to know? And so they come up and they, <laughs> they say, got something for you. <laughs> I have a question that they didn't want to ask in front of everyone, that they didn't want to say in front, so they want to get you alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and, you know, usually it's, you know, I'm confused about this. Um, you know, I, you know, for example, I have. I'm a newly um, promoted manager and I got promoted above my peers Mm -hmm. and now they don't listen to me. You know, what do I do? And so your first thought is to say, remember we talked Mm -hmm. about in module five, we talked about the five P's of leadership and, you know, that uh, Mm -hmm. professionalism Mm -hmm. and they're just looking at you like, sure. You're like, okay, remember module three and they don't leave. And that's when I know, oh, this person is not asking me about content. This person is asking me, do you understand what I'm going through? 
Do you see me? Do you understand how I feel? Mm. Am I crazy for thinking this? Right. And so that's when I know when facts aren't clicking, this is about emotion. This is about what this person is feeling. And so that's when you begin to sort of tap in and you don't make assumptions. You tap into, you tell me what you're feeling, what's happening. You don't want to be a counselor, you know, but sometimes people just want to be heard. And you sort of, you may never have experienced this situation before, but if you're able to tap into what that person is feeling, you felt that before, you felt that situation before, and they just want to know, they want to be normalized in that way that this is what I'm feeling is okay. And you don't, and you don't have to give them an answer or a solution. Just let them know that, you know, this is a common thing and here are some strategies, but you're going to have to come Mm -hmm. to terms with it um, on your own. And maybe how you're seeing what people are doing rather than what's actually happening, you know, things like that. And you not just spouting off those truisms. It's, you know, this happened. This is how I felt in a similar situation. And this is the conclusion that I came to. Yeah. To get those people. <laughs> yeah, the situation, you know. So yeah, it's uh you know, that's that's sort of what that book is about. Um this is so enlightening because um <laughs> I just discovered I'm a slow packer. <laughs> I, I I was just thinking about, you know, when, when we met and, and thinking, oh wait, wait, who was the guy that stuck around afterwards? Oh yeah, it was the producer. Yeah. He said, Hey, I'm a brand new contractor too and you're like oh that's so nice (laughs) yep slow slow it's it's really interesting because it slow packer steve and i've always (laughs) been slow i just didn't realize it was a slow packer (laughs) but you know i think the interesting thing is the whole reason that that people like me stick around afterwards is because you made an emotional connection Mm -hmm. there's just something and I've seen it sometimes when I've had the opportunity to be a facilitator as well. I've, I've, I've received the slow packer also. Um, I didn't know that's what they were called. <laughs> I made um, but in, in many ways, you made it up. It's, it is yeah. trademarked. If anybody uses it, it is, it's there's, a, there's a fee. Have to have to send it on to Hadia. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that that's when I've known I've made a real emotional connection. Right. And when people feel safe is when they stick around a little while longer and it's almost like that, um, especially when I used to be able to go around and talk to people in person, remember conference rooms mm-hmm. and handshakes, those wonderful things that we used to be able to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was one of those things that sometimes you'd, you'd spend the whole day in a conference talking and it was only like in that last 20 minutes with your slow packer that you felt yeah. like you'd actually made a difference. Right, right. And I think one of the things is is what motivates that person is they recognize something in you or you said something um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, makes them feel like this person can hear me. This person can understand me. It's not just the knowledge. I already got the knowledge. I'm I'm already here. I have the workbook. I have the, but it's, you know, it's something about you, which I think kind of goes back to authenticity and, you know, that you are willing to, you know, share parts of yourself that are vulnerable. And so it, it pr- compels other people to do it too. And that's one thing I talk about with storytelling that, it, you know, that's really the point of storytelling as a facilitator 
is not so that you can tell your stories. It's so that you're creating an environment where people feel safe mm-hmm. enough to share theirs. And I think sometimes that's lost in all this. This is how you tell the story. You do this first and you do that. It's like what, I, what I'm, you know, just tell, tell the truth, you know, tell something that's true. And, um, you know, people begin to respond to that and they, re- they respond in kind. And they won't have this perfect formula of how to tell the story that you studied. Um, but again, it's just this way of, of making this connection so people feel seen and heard. And sometimes that's just the block um, of moving forward, of trying to understand what's happening and solve the problem. You know, people are gaslit so often of that's not happening. That's not real. You know, you're being too sensitive. You're that. Mm-hmm. Some, and and it, you can't even acknowledge that you're feeling this, let alone try to address the feeling. So because people keep telling you it's not real. So to have someone just say, this is a real thing that you're mm-hmm. feeling and you're, it's okay, first of all, to feel this way. It's okay to feel um, like, you know, you're a traitor for leaving your group of friends and getting promoted. You know, it's okay to feel betrayed because mm-hmm. you feel like they're stabbing you in the back. It's okay to feel these things. And just being able sometimes to have someone see you and acknowledge that can help you get to the next step. Because often that's just the block that I'm just being silly. I'm just being paranoid. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just so much more than just the story. And I, and I also say that stories are just a carrier. You know, it's not the magic of storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's the magic of the truth. It's the magic of authenticity. It's the magic of, um, you know, having people recognize themselves in what you're saying. It's the, um, the fact that you took the extra step to understand the audience and understand the people you're relating to and to be willing to be vulnerable with your story, with your experiences, the story, the, the, what's happening, the magic is inside this carrier called a story. And it's just sort of interesting that people just think, just tell them a story. No, I mean, it's be all these other things first and then wrap it in a story. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's interesting as as you're talking about this, I I feel like the application is way beyond training and development. Like I, I, as you're, as you're saying this, I was thinking this is, this is what relationships need. This is what society needs. This is what we need, you know, to, to kind of heal hearts and minds is, is this ability to help people tell their stories and, 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 and something that, you know, this is just a, real eye-opener epiphany moment for me is as you were talking about a story is i've really mostly thought about stories as entertainment that you know and and even i've used stories i use them all the time in facilitation but i've always thought about it as i need to use stories otherwise i lose people and they become bored and they Mm -hmm. disengage and that's true that's all true that if i don't use stories you know it it, it's not a training it's a hazing but um Mm -hmm. This this os this this aspect of thinking about um, a story as a vessel that's carrying your truth that's carrying mm-hmm. your authenticity and it's really how do you fight against a story someone tells you their story you're like no that's not true it's their story it's what it's yeah what happened yeah you know well, people try um, <laughs> so one thing <laughs> that I, mean, I sort of think about it is uh, <laughs> I think about it um, like anim- PowerPoint animation. When years ago, I read this book mm-hmm. um, called Presenting to Win, 
And there was a passage in there that changed my life when it came to, at, comes to animation. The point of animation in PowerPoint is to control the eye, is to control the flow of information. It's not mm-hmm. to make your PowerPoint interesting. It's not to, uh, you know, razzle and dazzle people. It's just to control the flow of information. And I sort of equate that with, with stories as well. The point of it is not to, you know, amaze people. You know, I always say that stories are um, about you which is because a lot of storytellers and instructors will tell you a story is not about you. It is about you and we need to honor your vulnerability um, and your ability to share this um, personal part of yourself, um, but it's not for you. And when I think just that passage alone makes me rethink um, how I tell a story. Many times I tell stories that are for me. I want you to see me in a certain way. I want you to be amazed Mm by how smart I won't admit this of course I would have never admitted it you know to myself but this story is no entry for you this story is a one way and it's about how great I am and it doesn't include you at all and so just taking a step back and say wait I'm I'm telling stories in service of others this is for someone else just that alone makes you step back mm-hmm. a little bit and say what's the entry point for other people when can other people how am I creating as some sort of vessel that people can enter and go, oh, look around, like, oh, I can learn this from this story and this from this story. But usually they're just this roadblock. They're shows. They're performative. You know, there's these shows and there's a performance aspect to it, of yeah. course. Um, but um, it is a performance. It's not this. Um, it, it really should just be this act of, of generosity, of um, exploring a truth together with the person who's listening not just you you know you know talking 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 about um these great things that you did yeah you're making me like rethink every story (laughs) i've ever told um even like as you're as you're telling this i was thinking about what my poor kids go through every time i tell a story Am I telling stories for them or am I telling stories to say dad had it worse? Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that... Snap out of it. Yeah. And you know, sometimes yeah. it is, it is about us ourselves being heard and, you know, wanting some sort of validation, you know, from others. So, mm-hmm. you know, always when you're, when you're sharing, I think Brene Brown says this um, when she mentions, you know, always consider your, your purpose and your intent. And that's one thing I talk about in the book of, mm-hmm. you know, a purpose of a story is really not for you to decide. It's really for the person who is taking in this story because they're actually not hearing your story. They're hearing what you're saying and they're filtering it through their own experience. Um, so what you're saying mm-hmm. is just um, kindling you know, for their, their own fire because I know that you've, you've said things to someone else and you know you know what it meant, what the story was supposed to mean and they get something outrageously different and you're like, you couldn't have possibly heard what I said, yeah. you know, but that's because they're not. They are filtering it through, uh, you know, through your experience. So, you know, that's, so they are going to determine the purpose of the story, but what you need is intent. You need to think about 
why am I telling this story? And, you know, you don't want to sit up there second guessing every move you make, but just know that, um, you know, you need an intent to be clear as to why I'm communicating this and what I expect back, which really should be nothing. Uh, you know, uh, it, it really should be, you're, you're sharing this, you're letting people in and it's up to them. You know, once you open your mouth and tell a story, it doesn't belong to you. You know, it belongs to them and it becomes, their story becomes listening to you tell that story. And so all the performance that you put into it, mm -hmm. the structure and all of that is creating an experience for them to take in this story. That's the story now becomes you doing that for them. They're not going to hear um, that exact same story the way you see it. Because you're filling in blanks in your brain that you don't even know you're you're filling in, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're just saying that. Yeah, they, they, won't, they won't know the full context, uh, you know, that you are, that you're sharing. So, yeah. They, they know that this, the face of it, the, the portion I'm, I'm showing them. And, you know, I feel like, you know, one of the things you brought up a little while back is, was vulnerability. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and I've been trying to think and, and, and everything you talked about with, you know, my story is just kindling for your story you yeah. know, just to get it started and, yeah. and, and things and, and thinking, well, you know, what, what makes this most effective? What would make it so that my story actually ignites something in you? Uh, hopefully something that I want to ignite, not a, although I think I've seen that in, in, uh, training and, and, and even in stories, sometimes I've told my kids, you know, where I, I, I hope to make them you know, see somebody's perspective or get them upset about something, maybe like a social justice issue. And it didn't just light a fire. It, it, it let, uh, you know, uh, an incendio, you know, like something that was going to take down a forest, you know, that, that it becomes something new. Um, but I feel like maybe um, going back to what you said earlier about authenticity and vulnerability is maybe the way that we responsibly start these fires yeah you yeah know, you know maybe when we have that that helps it be more true and maybe not such a unpredictable result yeah you know my my thought on emotion and personal storytelling has changed a little bit um you know there's there's a lot of pressure to load your stories with emotion <laughs> Um, and we talk about what's the best mm -hmm. part of stories. Everyone says emotion, 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 emotion. And uh, mm -hmm. that's true. That's just a fact. But I, and when it comes to personal storytelling of you being the storyteller, but also you guiding people through finding their own story, I also believe in self-care. I also believe that you mm -hmm. don't owe the world a breakdown. You don't owe the world you being re-traumatized by events that happened. Um, you don't owe them all your emotion, but what you do owe them is authenticity. And there is this link that is nearly impossible to break, you know, between emotion and authenticity. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes trying to, you know, this sort of, again, it goes back to that word performative, this idea of um, trying to force this emotion when I think that the, the real thing you should be looking for is, you know, I sort of distinguish between what's true and what's the truth. You know, what's true is that these five things happened. Mm -hmm. 
the truth is I was very scared when these five things happened. I wasn't sure they were going to happen. And I felt very vulnerable um, that I was left out there and had to search for the third thing to happen. You know, I mean, it's that's the truth. Yeah. And so many times when we are telling stories, um, you know, we only stick with you know, what's true that I worked, you know, I was an employee and um, I became a manager and now I'm the CEO of, and that's true. But what's true, but the truth is all the setbacks and all the self-doubt and all the fears that you had as you were going, that's just, that's mm -hmm. the truth. And that is the parts that people grow from and people learn from when they hear uh, when they hear it and they hear that you mm -hmm. survived and they hear that, you know, this, you know, I'm here, I'm the CEO of whatever company, but I also had other dreams for myself. You know, this isn't the, the be all, this isn't necessarily yeah. what I want it to be. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm here and this is what led me to that. So that's that, that uncomfortable truth that is often tied to emotion but not always also there's this assumption that everyone responds to emotion the same way and some people shut down you know when it comes to emotion so yeah. don't just assume that because you uh you know told a story that triggers an emotion that that person's like oh everyone's like oh now i see it now i see the light that's not necessarily true so just stick with authenticity stick with what's what's real and what's what's true and uh you know then maybe you have a story it sounds like you kind of have to let go that you really yeah. can't hold on like let it happen yeah there's a reason why we kind of scary yeah i mean that's there's a reason why we we stand by what's true rather than the truth you know there's a reason that we're guarding the truth and i can't i i just i don't you know if you disconnect that from you know, the emotion, I think you, if you look at it this way, you're able to, I won't say necessarily cherry pick, but you know, it's, it's your story that you can tell, you know, you can leave some of the um, vulnerability, you know, out and focus on the type of vulnerable access going to, again, serve as a guide for the people you're telling a story to. It's more about your intent. Is my intent to just, you know, tell these stories, these stories to get people riled up in, in emotion, or is it to make people empathize with other people in this situation? Then you then you you focus on those pieces of your story. But um, you know, however you want to do it is up to you. But um, I just get a little annoyed by this pressure of reveal yourself. You know, you must reveal yourself um, mm -hmm. because you you need to be safe. You know, you you need a safe space as well as the storyteller. And I think too, us as instructional designers who are working with um, clients to get stories out of them for our classes, we need to respect you know, that space as well. At the same time, mm -hmm. I always say um, stories that move move, right? So you you should protect yourself yeah. and but there's a cost for that the the more you guard the more you keep safe you know the less movement or change you may see in the people you're telling the story to right so um just you know understand that that it's it's you know keeping yourself safe there's there there's a cost to that you know so stories that move move so if the story is moving then it moves people 
if it's not, then it, it won't, don't expect people to just be moved because you tore it, you told it in a story-like format. It's not going to happen that way. It depends on yeah. what you stuffed into this carrier and gave to them. You know, it's, it's interesting as, as you're talking about this and, and maybe I'm just digging for another story, but um, how did you, how did you figure this out? Have you always just told stories along these lines or like how, what, what's the truth? I see that you got to this point where you, you learned these things about telling stories, but how did, how did this come about? Were there, have you had some bad experiences telling stories and some good experiences how did you, well, I how did you was, uncover these, these truths? Um, well, I think, you know, the, the truth is, you know, as a kid, you know, I always say that the storytelling pit came from the fact when I was a kid, I was a liar. <laughs> I lied <laughs> a lot. And I did it because I wanted a reaction. I always say my mother uh, turned me into a liar <laughs> because she would have these unpredictable reactions <laughs> to things, you know, and I wanted a reaction. So I would keep exaggerating and exaggerating <laughs> until I got the reaction. But the truth is there was no predicting, no way of predicting <laughs> how she would react <laughs> to anything I said. But I kept thinking that there was a formula to get her to either be shocked or to laugh or to something. So even in my little six yeah. and seven year old brain, I was calculating What's the trigger? What's the, and of course I had to make it up because I was what six or seven it? years old. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have it. I couldn't say it worked to today. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so from the very beginning, I knew, you know, how stories, um, you know, could change people, but I also knew the danger. Work and so as I grew up, I knew that I had to be careful um, that I could slip into exaggeration um, very clear, very quickly. And so I remember when I was, I, I think this was like somewhere in late high school, I would begin to count how many times I did it. And at the end of the day, if I didn't do it, I would actually like, I didn't exaggerate today. I didn't, you know, I just, so I sort of walked myself out of there. And so <laughs> I conscious think effort. exactly to make that. And I think what was interesting is I developed this sort of sense of humor and this way of looking at the world in order to save myself from telling exaggerations. I realized that the truth and the way the world worked was so ridiculous that all I had to do was focus <laughs> on the absurdity of what was really happening in real life and my own take on it in order to stop myself from telling exaggerations. And I think I, I figured this out at some point um, in, in college or, or something to that, to that effect and realized if I just stuck with seeing the world in a certain way, um, then I'd be able to do it. So I always knew, you know, why did I, why did I do that with my mother? You know, I was obviously looking for some sort of approval. You know, mm -hmm. I was, so I always knew that stories and emotion was, a, was tied yeah. together. And, um, I think that as I, you know, and then skip ahead, you know, several, several decades later, as I sort of take a deeper dive and explore storytelling in this, you know, professional um, capacity. I was thinking too the other day how mm -hmm. when I was a kid back in Detroit, we would tell people, we would call people who were liars storytellers. We'd be like, don't listen to him. He's a storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. He's telling stories, Mike. You're such a storyteller. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> stories became synonymous, which I think is one of the um, 
roadblocks that a lot of clients have to not wanting stories in their training is because they equate mm-hmm. it with fiction. They equate it with something that's not true, um, you know, as opposed to yeah. um, that nonfiction variety that, you know, most of us are um, sort of grown to it, grown into as, as an adult. So, um, yeah, you know, I think the question is, what's the, uh, what's the journey, you know, for that? And how do you become a better storyteller um, yourself? And um, I don't have all the answers for it, but one thing that I, st- I stress in my classes is that, you know, there, there definitely is no formula, but you have to be a reflective person. And that's not easy to do. You say, I say it sort of flippantly, mm-hmm. but the reality is um, we're taught not to reflect. We're taught not to dwell. We're taught not to look at the past. Why, why are you focused on the past? That happened a week ago. What's the deal? You know, let it go, let alone 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, don't dwell on that. Don't, you know, and so to be able to take the time and, and yeah, you can run into a danger of not letting go. Right. So you mm-hmm. do have to walk that line between those those two worlds of being able to I call it meaning making, you know, to take a, you know, a part of your at your life, an aspect of your life and make meaning um, of it, of what how it affects you today. And also understanding that meaning changes over time. Some incident happened at 25 that can mean one thing. Mm-hmm. And at, you know, 42 means something wildly different and had wildly different implications than what you yes. thought it would have at 25. Um, so, under, you know, under, making sense of your life. I, I remember at ATD um, years ago, um, maybe it was the last one, one before last, maybe it was the last one. Oprah was the guest speaker and um, she made oh. this statement of a uh, keynote speaker. Uh, she said, uh, make, uh, pay attention to your life, pay attention to your life. And, you know, some people use strategies of taking a notebook or not David Sedaris, uh, famous nonfiction writer, um, you know, you know, just talks about the power of the notebook and just writing these, these things down. Um, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I always just think just, you know, live for, live for the story, you know, think about those um, experiences. I went to my 30 year um, high school reunion, even though I had no intention of doing that. I went just for the see if I could get a story, <laughs> just for the story. I have yet to get a story out of it. It's mm-hmm. going to come though. I know it's going to come. There's a story that's going to happen. <laughs> I just have to think hard enough. But yeah, it's the, you know, living for the story and it's the meaning making and making sense of it. Um, one story that we tell a lot is sort of that origin story of, you know, I had this job and then this job and then this job. It would be, you know, maybe taking the time to say, well, what did you get from each one of those jobs? What experience did you get? You know, when I think about my time in tech support, I could just say, well, that was a waste of time, <laughs> you know, and that's just sort of a, oh, I worked in tech support, but I had no experience. Ha ha ha. But in reality, it gave me you know, first of all, I, I work for myself and I can fix my own computers. That's enough right there. Or at least I know where to get. Oh, you that's, know, huge. That's, could huge. Be. that's huge. That's yeah. huge. So that's a benefit. But also, too, it gave me a thicker skin. <laughs> you know, I used to be very sensitive. I still am kind of sensitive. Mm-hmm. I still take things personally. Um, but that gave me the ability, I think, at a very crucial time in my life in my late 20s to get out of that and grow out of that and, you know, realize that people are Mm -hmm. saying these things out of frustration, not attacking you personally, which was a great lesson to have that I had to relearn over and over again. And so I finally sort of got to a place where, you know, I could look at a, you know, a 
student evaluation and be pretty unfazed, <laughs> you know, by the any insults that I get um, because someone <laughs> said that to my face in 1998, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm 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 fine with that. <laughs> so just along the journey of what did I got that job for a reason? I experienced that for a reason. What did you get? Out? Not just the skills, but what did you get out of it as a as a you know, as an adult, mm-hmm. as, as a person, and how did that carry on to not just, you know, to the next job, but how did that contribute to you as a leader, as an employee, as who you are right now, and, and not just skipping from experience to experience and the other parts of your life as well, but really thinking, how is that experience that whatever market left on me, how is that contributing to the person I am today? Mm-hmm. So it it takes that. That's the first step is that that meaning making and no recognizing that whatever you got from it is something you can share with others that they can learn from, too. It, this, this is really such an interesting way of thinking about something so common, you know, that. Yeah. And, and, and certainly as we've been talking, you know, I, I, I have so many ways to kind of just reevaluate where yeah. I view stories, why I've used stories. Um, and, and also just as I'm, I'm thinking, I, I think there's not a job I've worked in or a manager I've had that wouldn't have benefited from having someone break down stories like right, this. Right, right. And I think another thing too I want to mention is that, and I mentioned this not just about storytelling, but that most of the conundrums that we have or problems we're trying to fix in learning development, other industries have already fixed these problems. Like, like this isn't, oh, we're like, how do we get people to change their behavior through stories and emotion? I mean, ask Pepsi, ask Budweiser, <laughs> ask all of those. You go, there's a reason why you go into Target and buy stuff you don't need. You know, I mean, there's a reason why mm-hmm. we're making these decisions and it doesn't, you know, we're buying for the life we want, you know, say someone told us a story about the, mm-hmm. what, the, what the life we would experience with this. I mean, it's, it's the car sales is the best example of that, where, you know, they don't sell the car, they sell mm-hmm. the, the wonderful things that are going to happen with this car, because you own this car. So yes. why can't we do that with the skills mm-hmm. instead of after this class, you will learn, you will be able to, I mean, it's the same premise, you know, of <laughs> this is who you're going to be, mm-hmm. you know, after you experience this class, you know, after you go through this learning experience, people have already solved this problem. And we're just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know? So I always say, look past this industry, <laughs> explore other industries. The secrets are hidden, hidden in there. And even it's like screenwriting movies. There's a reason why the anti-hero is, you know, you're bawling your eyes out for this yeah. anti-hero, um, you know, and oh, sorry. There's a reason why you are um, bawling your eyes out for this anti-hero. You know, there's a reason for that. And we're mm-hmm. struggling with how to make, you know, a character who is, uh, you know, a manager, um, someone that people can relate to and someone can feel compassion for. And we're struggling. with. Well, someone already figured that out. You know, it's already been done. So look at these other industries and see what they're doing and how they're doing it. And we can apply it to our own. Well, and I would add to that, if anyone's trying to figure this out and you don't know how to look to these other industries, somebody actually wrote a book about this, right? (laughs) (laughs) That would be me. So one more plug. 
<laughs> yes, that would be you. Yeah. Uh, story training. And, and uh, where, where do people go to get your book? Wherever books are sold, you can go um, ATD is on sale. Their website is also on sale um, in the um, paper version and the Kindle version at Amazon.com and other places as well. So, yeah. I, I want to really thank you for taking the time to, to be on the podcast today. I got so much out of it. I think one of the things that I'm going to be thinking about tonight is, is really just thinking about a story as a vessel that it, it's not the thing, it's carrying something. And what is it that I want to put in this vessel? Yeah. You know, what is the truth that I want to try and share? And um, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know if my kids are willing to listen to my stories again. Right <laughs> now I'm kind of in the doghouse there. When I start a story, they, they start out by saying, Dad, we heard this already. Yeah. Like, well, you didn't hear it or you'd have changed. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, you know, it is that intent, you know, to think about what, what, why am I trying to tell the story? What is the purpose of this mm -hmm. story? What's the intent? So, yeah. Do yeah. it for them and not for me. It's or maybe right. for me once in a while. I mean, once in a while, I do need them just to listen to me. Uh, yeah, you do it for you in service of them. I mean, put it this way. It's still very good. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you again so much um, for uh, coming on the podcast. Of course, we'll have um, additional information if anybody is uh, uh, interested in, in getting Hidea to come and, and provide a workshop. I understand some point in the future, we'll actually be able to travel and, and you might be able to. Yeah, um, I heard that. Yeah, have an in-person training. Wow. Um, but, you know, if, if that is something you're interested, you know, reach out, start booking right away because I think there's going to be a real push uh, to get some in-person training in uh, when we get into our, our uh, third and fourth quarter of the year. But um, I am doing so we'll a workshop at the um, Learning Solutions Conference, e -lear um, Learning Guilds um, Learning Solutions Conference called um, Bringing Narratives to Life. And so that's where I'm going to really be focusing on that, that authenticity and that truth and the emotional part of it. You know, I think that, again, we sort of flippantly say emotion, but how do you do that? How do you get that from other people? And how do you, at mm -hmm. what point do you infuse it into the story you're telling and to, to what intent and what end? So we've been talking a lot about, you know, how to take something very flat and um, adding what I like to call that heartbeat, that heartbeat, you know, to what you're yeah. writing and what you're putting together. Yeah. yeah. The, the story defibrator. That, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that <laughs> brings things to life that brings things to life. All right. Well, thank you again. And I hope maybe someday we get you back. Um, mm -hmm. And, and of course, uh, uh, be sure to look in the show notes because there'll be additional information where you can learn more about Hidea's book, uh, story training and about other opportunities you may have to learn from her. Um, also, we'd like to thank our sponsors, um, Upwards Unlimited. Leonard usually does this part and has it memorized, but uh, they're uh, helping to uh, increase better communication, conversation, and community. Uh, you can look them up on upwardsunlimited.com. It's spelled upwards like words, U-P, and then words. I don't spell. Leonard does that. Uh, but you've listened before, so you know where to find us, and you can see the link in the show notes. Take care, and uh, we look forward to talking to you all again.